0: News Network. This is TNN, the Truth News Network, and we deal in facts. Here's one. You might want to write this one down. You can't comply your way to freedom. That's how prisons work. Seeing the picture? Here's someone who can make it clearer. His name is Dan Newman. Have you ever thought about that like peak Moss just said it, you can't? comply your way to freedom. Folks, it's not a top-down thing. We got our freedoms from our God, not from our government, but from our God. We, the people, are free, and government is not supposed to tell us what to do and how to live. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. Special edition today, yep, it's the first anniversary of January 6th. 2021, a date that they want us to believe is a day of infamy, but it's a day of history. And I think we're going to find out on the show this morning exactly what real history regarding January 6, 2021, is all about. Joining us today, we talked to him for a few moments and shared that with you yesterday, Steve Baker. Steve is a journalist. Uh, he travels all over the United States. He has a website. He has a YouTube channel, a big, 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 big following. And as a professional journalist, he was right in the middle of January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. And, Steve, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedule to share with us. We've got people listening in today. Uh, just before we signed on, I took a look. There's a bunch of people in southern Australia, even northern Europe, around South America, of course, U.S. and Canada, and they want to hear your story. We all want to hear your story. How you doing? Awesome.
1: Hey, man, I'm good. Thanks, Dan, for having me today.
0: So you've been on the road. We were talking before we went on the air. I can't believe you've been just basically on the road for almost a year.
1: Yeah, uh, it's actually been over a year now. Uh, my my uh, primary occupation for most of my adult life has been as a full-time live performing musician. And unfortunately, when the COVID came to town, I was deplatformed or as I was uh, as I like to say I was declared non-essential and I wasn't allowed to work for 15 months. So it was uh, it was a time when I was able to take what had been my secondary um, uh, hobby, really, as being a political writer, and turn that into the uh, you know primary focus of what I'm doing now.
0: Well, he's a really good drummer, folks. Let me just say that. (laughs) He's a really good drummer. Hey, listen, (laughs) here's what I want you to do, and I'm not going to do a lot of interrupting you. I want you to just tell us your story. Start with how you ended up deciding to go to Washington, D.C. last January 6th. And when you got there and you saw everything unfolding, was it anything you thought you were going to see?
1: Well, obviously, the the day was not set up for what happened uh, in terms of my interest in what was taking place. I I sent out a newsletter to to my readers and my followers uh, on January 4th and told them, that I was going up to D.C. Uh, to be there for the big rally on the sixth. That was being, you know, being hyped up. Had been hyped up for a couple of weeks, or maybe even as much as a month prior to that date By the, you know, by the former president and by other organizations as well. So it looked like it was going to be a substantial event, and we had been promised that there was going to be something um, election-shattering announced from the stage that day. And I uh, probably will disappoint some of your, your listenership by saying this. I've never been a Trump fan. I've never been a Trump supporter. I wasn't there as a stop-the-steel Trump rally guy. I wasn't wearing any Trump paraphernalia, uh, no, you know, no MAGA hats. I wasn't carrying a flag. I went up there with my microphone, my camera, my tripod – Specifically, to interview people on the street that day and get their reactions about whatever that you know um, that special announcement was going to be, or that everyone was anticipating was going to be announced from the stage that day. Well, that never happened. Uh, anybody that w- is is fair and honest about their observations that day knows that the production of the event itself was very amateurish. The speeches were completely inconsequential. There was no real content. And certainly none of the speeches, including from President Trump, contained that moment that everybody had uh, been anticipating.
0: Let me ask you this, Steve, real quick. Um, You just touched on something that everybody has been grabbing onto over the last year. We're not hearing that part of the story from anybody now. Not even very conservative people, even those in the United States Congress. In fact, Ted Cruz yesterday, I don't know if you heard, he came out and just slammed everybody that had anything to do with what happened that day on January 6th in D.C. As if everybody that was there was evil, were trying to get something done that was evil. Did you see that going on?
1: Well, I, I will tell you that I have on one of my video channels, I have about a 20, 22 minute video analysis of just the crowd itself. And this is. it's not focusing on the rioting. It's not focusing on the quote unquote insurrection uh, or the breach into the Capitol. It is just the crowd analysis at the um, rally site. And, and this was a gathering of Americana. This was average middle-class America. You didn't see um, tactical helmets. You didn't see combat gear. You didn't see gas masks. You saw families. You saw children. You saw grandparents. Everybody gathering thousands upon thousands of flags waving in this just unlimited sea of people as far as the eye could see in every direction. So let's go back to nothing. Nothing that you would eventually see later that day.
0: Gotcha. Let's go back to the White House when all the speeches were happening. At the very end of it, President Trump got up and he talked to everybody that was there about actually going down the street to the Capitol. Mm -hmm. What did he say?
1: Well, interestingly, the speeches were so inconsequential, as I said, that the gentleman that I was with, I was actually there with another writer from raleigh north carolina we drove up together and he's a, a political writer of some esteem but i won't name him because we're trying to keep him out of this <laughs> and and he he actually um uh, suggested that we take off and head to the Capitol early because it was it had always been the intention that after the rally there was going to be a march you know a protest march a peaceful protest march on the Capitol people would stand outside and sing and cheer and chant and do whatever people do when they're doing a protest march and we wanted to get ahead of that crowd and and the fact is by by the halfway point through Trump's speech, there were already tens of thousands of people with the same idea peeling off and headed that way. So we we to to get as far out in front of that mob as we possibly could, we started a a very, very brisk walk. You know, it's over a mile from where we were located to the Capitol building. And by the time we arrived at the reflection pool on the west side of the Capitol, and that's the side for everybody, if, you, if you've, and we've all seen it, but that's the site where the actual inauguration event was being staged and planned at the time. Because uh, that was to take place, you know, just a couple of weeks later. Sure. So at when, by the time we got to the reflection pool, this was several minutes before Trump ever concluded his speech. And I know this because by virtue of the metadata on my own videos from that day, I have all of that very, very clearly detailed in, in the first blog I wrote about that day. So we arrived before Trump ever com- concluded his speech and ever walked off that stage and before he ever called for people to head that direction.
0: So, so in, the, in the context, it, in the context yeah. of that, let's talk about you're going from the White House down to the Capitol. What kind you, you mentioned many people had left with the same idea as you guys to get there before the big crowd. What kind of people were walking around you?
1: Same thing. And in my in my crowd analysis, I actually stopped at one point about halfway, well, maybe two thirds of the way to the to the Capitol building. And I did a three sixty video pan around to see and show the type of people that were in the crowd. And it was exactly the same thing. Not one single person in combat gear, not one single person carrying a weapon of any kind. These were, as I said before, these were typical middle-class Americans. Half of them were, you know, overweight as Americans. They're slowly walking that way as they can, and they're, 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 some of them are pushing baby carriages. Not one sign of insurrections or, or violence at this point because, Dan... That was already there. The battle was already engaged before Trump ever left the stage.
0: Please, please elaborate on that.
1: Well, when we when we got to the reflection pool, we looked up and something was wrong. First of all, there were already sirens, a, a lot of sirens coming up on uh, one of the uh, uh, side boulevards from the, uh, the main boulevard we were on, and so as as a result of that, we we're very curious. And then we look up and we see the smoke. There was was obviously tear gas being deployed. There were flashbangs we could hear going off. The sirens were pulling around to the back and the other side of the Capitol because the Capitol police force was already being um, uh, backed up by the DC Metro police. So they were being reinforced by the uh, uh, city police. Yeah. and so we we looked at each other and we went well oh my god we've got to be there so that's exactly what we did so we we broke out in a pretty brisk um jog and made our way up to that area that now is kind of a famous battle scene that we've all seen video after video after video up there on the west side and I turned the camera on and for the next hour I recorded and and saw, you know, what was in fact a historical moment. I didn't, I didn't recognize it as history at the moment. The, the adrenaline and the um, violent kinetic energy that was going on was just had me in a place of just being concentrating on the video, on the camera, and then also on staying safe.
0: When did you see the pandemonium of whatever it was begin to break out, and what, what started that?
1: Well, it was it was already happening. Now, you know, I can I can only um, report on what I witnessed with my own eyes and what I captured with my own video. Sure. But we've certainly seen that there were precursors to that and we've seen this from, you know, multiple hundreds of other people's videos. There's there's tens of thousands of hours of available video about this event. Probably maybe the most recorded event in history, probably and 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 one of the things that we know is that those early breaches of outer barricades that happened long before Trump uh, had concluded his speech and called for people to head that way. in fact, uh, probably as much as an hour or more before maybe even before he he uh, uh, even started or took the stage himself.
0: What is your sense of the timing putting all of the moving parts the clock pieces together did when did you realize or when did you really suspect that there was something sinister happening
1: well as soon as we hit the reflection pool on our way over to the capitol it was obvious something was something had gone awry and that's why we uh, worked our way up there as close to the uh, whatever was taking place and and until we rounded a corner and saw what was happening we weren't we weren't aware because those outer barricades were no no longer existed by the time we got there and by the time thousands of other people were arriving at the capitol itself there had been outer barricades well those were all gone I mean and it wasn't like they had just been Um, pushed and trampled aside. We've seen now video that they were actually moved and hidden by certain provocateurs in the crowd. So all of the do not enter signs, all the restricted space signs had been moved, turned over and removed from the Capitol so that everybody could, could proceed without, um, you know, any uh, feeling that they were doing anything wrong.
0: Did you have any personal contact with the Capitol police?
1: Uh, in terms of my contact with him, yes, that happened later in the day. I, I had conversations with Capitol Police later today. Gotcha. day.
0: But when the when the incident was going on, when you guys got down there and realized something was up, I'm sure you looked around and you saw them. They had to be everywhere. I mean, we've been told they were they were just attacked by all these crazy MAGA folks. Well, um, the
1: first the first thing that has to be corrected in the narrative is how many. Cl- police uh, capital police officers were actually available that day and this is this is a huge huge part of the untold story now you can piece the story together if you're willing to go in and do thousands of hours of research like i've done but the reality is is that what we were told early on that thousands of maga trump supporters overwhelmed 2000 law enforcement officers is frankly, Dan, it's a load of crap.
0: Now, why there were, are you saying that? There were, how many How many were there?
1: When I arrived on the west side of the Capitol, there were no more than just a few dozen actual law enforcement officers, and that included uh, officers from both the Capitol Police and the D.C. Metro Police. The other part of the narrative that has to be co- corrected is how many people were actually attacking them. I have said from the very beginning, and this is based on thousands of hours of, of video analysis, not just my own frame, but my own videos. Cause I, I have about three hours myself, but I've done frame by frame by frame, countless hours going through and analyzing my own video. But there was only a very, very minimal deployment of actual police officers that day, which makes no sense considering the fact that hundreds of thousands of people were going to be descending on the Capitol that day.
0: When you, fa- was- when you found out later that the national guard had by the white house, as a matter of fact, had been uh, contacted about coming and then they were turned away by Nancy Pelosi not to come. Yeah, and,
1: and of course that's a, that's a, he, sh- he said, she said yeah, thing yeah. right now. Uh, Trump certainly makes the claim that he did offer the national guard And then additionally, uh, Pelosi, as we know, denies that that ever happened. So we don't really know until some actual whistleblowers start coming forward or we get transcripts of those phone calls or whatever, whatever the investigative committees might produce
0: for us. I'm sure you understand that all those whistleblowers are standing in line wanting to tell their stories in light of 700 people, many of which are still in jail just because they were there. It's got to be scary. Yeah. You got to be scared to death about all this.
1: Uh, there, there's, there are some aspects of the story that I have told that makes me look over my shoulder. But um, uh, we, we're, we may not be there yet in our narrative.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Uh, what about the violence? I mean, we've seen a lot of isolated incidents that happen, but the news yeah. media make it make it appear like it was everywhere.
1: Well, and here there there were there were specific places where violence was taking place. Certainly, there was a line, there was a barricade line on the west side, right? That's the inaugural side, where there you know are are some people call it the back side of the Capitol, and that's the that's where it faces the the Washington Monument, you know, over a mile away. Yeah, and and then and then on the other side. There was violence there, but that was not even initiated until sometime after the breach on the west side. All the timelines are a little, you know, kind of kind of hard to piece together. It seems like it's all happening at once, but it's not. The main battle line was on the west side to begin with because that was the side where the crowd had come from, and it was also the side where the... Uh, uh, the provocateurs the adjutants the the various groups that were there to actually do bad things that's where they had established their their front but as i was saying earlier the most important thing to know is is that it wasn't as many people doing that has has been portrayed by the media for a year the like like for instance um, uh, the you know in in the very days following january 6th uh, npr ran a story in which they said Over 8,000 Trump supporters overwhelmed 2,000 Capitol Police officers. And that was a complete lie because we now know that there were only about 200 Capitol Police officers even deployed that day. Now, their force total force number is 2,300. Right. So why were only 200 there that day when – hundreds of thousands of people would be in the Capitol. But more importantly, why were only 200 deployed that day when the FBI had told the Capitol police only two days before that there was the potential for, and this is what the Washington post said, and they put it in quotes in their headlines on January 12th. The FBI had notified the Capitol police of the potential for war that day war being in quotes.
0: No details about that information. Just, they left it there. No details.
1: There, there are leaking details that are now coming out, and we can certainly get there as as we talk about this today. But there, there is more and more detail coming out about the FBI's um, foreknowledge and including their participation on that day. But at this point in the story, it's very, very important for the world to know and for the American voters in particular to know that this was not an insurrection of thousands or tens of thousands of people descending on the Capitol building and overwhelming this, you know, I, I look, i watched just before we got on the, on this show today, I watched president Biden's January 6th commemorative speech just a moment ago. I heard every word he said, I watched it intently. And his speech was just absolutely full, full of factual errors. I mean, you know, you're calling him a liar if, I, if you want to, but the, the bottom line is, is he misportrayed many of the events that happened that day.
0: We want to get into a bunch of different moving parts in this thing. Static, yes. Moving parts, we want to do that. We'll save that for the end of this thing. I want to get into the factual stuff first. We got to take a okay. short break and. While we're in this break, Steve, I want you to think about when you saw violence begin to happen and how that made you feel, knowing that this was supposed to all be peaceful, but apparently all of a sudden it looked like it was becoming something else. So be thinking about that. We'll be back in two minutes with Steve Baker here at TNN Live. At Target, our first priority is the health of you, your families, and our team members. That's why we now require guests to wear a mask or face covering and continue to provide masks and gloves to protect our team members. Every day, we deep clean our stores and wipe down carts and baskets after every use. And you can always count on easy contactless shopping options like drive up and same day delivery. We believe in always taking care and we'll always do that for you. Learn more at Target.com slash a bullseye view.
2: Have you heard about blank slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. Today on hey culligan softer equals better here's a tweet from Ed itchy in idaho hey culligan my laundry is so scratchy i just cut myself on a cable knit sweater any suggestions hashtag send help hey at itchy in idaho yes the culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. itchy hashtag soft laundry hashtag already on the way get started for as little as ten dollars a month for six months of participating culligan dealers
1: If you think we're just four wheels
0: and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only
2: one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA U.S. LLC.
0: In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. It's kind of ironic, that lead-in. In the clown car of the deep state. (laughs) <laughs> Steve Baker's with us now. Do you do you remember Pete Moss when you were here in Louisiana? No, I don't. Uh Pete was uh he was doing morning radio at K-Rock at that time. Oh, and yeah. and he's got the best voice in America. He does all of our intros and our bumps in and out. Uh he's got a big studio. He does national stuff in Chicago. But he worked yeah. with me and at one point worked for me. And uh, he is a very conservative guy, and he's really into everything that we're dealing with right now <laughs> today. In fact, I'll say hello to Pete because he told me he would be listening into the show today. Uh, Fantastic. Steve, this is Pete. Pete, this is Steve. <laughs> Good
1: to meet you, Pete.
0: Hey, listen, where we left it when we went to the break, it's really important. First, let me just say this. If you were not able to be here at the beginning of this interview, you want to hear the whole thing. Multiple ways to do it within minutes after the show conclusion today and every day, uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcast, and Stitcher pick the show up and they'll put it on their site. Now, the name of the show is TNN Live. So if you go to any one of those, just in the search bar, type in the letters TNN Live. And our homepage will come up with an index of every show, the latest one, which would be today, will be at the top. Just click on it and listen to the whole show. And then later on, if you want to get this and download it and keep it, you can go to our website, truthnewsnet.org. And at the bottom of the front story on the page, there will be a link to this podcast. You can listen to it there or download it. And uh, we want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to hear this version of this story, firsthand version, instead of relying on mainstream media and politicians to pale it do whatever they want to do with it to make us think and feel what they want us to think facts are important things wouldn't you say steve
1: yeah and and you you bring up a great point here because um just last week on thursday nancy pelosi speaker of the house sent out a letter to her colleagues announcing all of the commemorative uh, events that were going to be taking place today here on the one-year anniversary of january 6th here in dc where i'm at right now and i'm here to cover those events and in her letter to her colleagues she actually said and i'm this is an exact quote she said the purpose of these events is to establish and preserve the narrative of January 6th. Now just stop and think about that statement right there. This is somebody who is ostensibly running a bipartisan investigative committee into how January 6th happened. But her stated purpose of what she's doing is to establish that narrative.
0: There is a narrative that they want and they want to get it firmly embedded in the minds of the American people And the truth of the incident is immaterial in their minds. It's got to be to establish that far-left narrative. I don't know if you heard it, but at the end of our get-together here today, we're going to cover something that snuck out overnight. Democrats have begun actually meeting to discuss the ways that they can prevent Donald Trump from ever running for federal office of any kind. Ever again. I yeah, would, they, I would wor- think that would fall into system. that Nancy Pelosi thing. Huh? <laughs> yeah,
1: they, exactly. <laughs> well, this is this is part, and in and, and, and both uh, Vice President Harris's speech this morning and President Biden's speech this morning, which concluded just before you and I got on the air together, uh, both of them were firmly working that anti-Trump narrative. Now, as I mentioned in the first part of our time together, I'm one of those rare people that may be more aligned with you politically than, than, than disaligned with you, but I've never been a Trump guy. And, uh, in fact, I've written hundreds of articles that are negative towards, uh, his candidacy candidacy back in 2016 and his presidency and so forth and so on. So even as a non-Trump guy, I will tell you from a balanced more, because I, my politics tend to run on the libertarian side. I, I look at this thing more down the middle and I see exactly what the Democrats are doing. And they are they are establishing a, a, a divisive narrative because they're trying they're trying to peel that side off from uh, that that part of the American electric, electorate and make them not only uh, be portrayed as illegitimate but feel illegitimate themselves.
0: Before we go into Back where the uh, we left it before the break, we were going to get into the violence when you first saw it. You just broached on something. I want to get your ideas on, especially since you're right down the middle and not somebody that's in the tank for Donald Trump, objectively as you are. Tell me this, why is the left working so hard and so diligently, doing everything they possibly can, righteous? unrighteous, good, evil, whatever. They're doing everything they can to keep Donald Trump from getting back engaged in government. What do you think's going on? Uh, the,
1: the 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 initial knee-jerk reaction to that question would be that they still fear his power, his influence over um, a large part of the electric, electorate. And he also has... The potential to, as we've heard him, you know, talk about that whole, you know, drain the swamp thing, that whole attack on the deep state, which, by the way, he was never successful eliminating. Uh, you know, he, he, he never gained control even of his own branch of government. I mean, he, he oversees the judiciary or, or he has his judicial branch. He has his nominees and yet he never gained control of that. Uh, he, his entire presidency, he was at odds from day one with the FBI and other you know, agencies uh, within the government and he never was able to, uh, um, change that.
0: I think Americans very conservative Americans saw what he was trying to do and he was able to yes. pick he was able to pick off a few and expose a lot but just that little bit opened the eyes of a lot of people not so much about Trump but about Washington DC and the swamp as he so famously labeled the entire legislative bureaucratic Washington DC process
1: Exactly Exactly, and and that's what they fear the most. They fear the most that he might be able to continue that process. But um, I, I I honestly don't think, and this is just you know prognosticating from a political analyst point of view, I don't think that he's going to um, be president again.
0: All right, that's your opinion. I have one, yeah. and uh, <laughs> mine's very un, unresolved at this particular point. I think the. A lot of things still have to play out in all this. So let's go back to the Capitol. That day, when you got down there and you first began to realize there's something going on, when did you actually see the violence that we saw? When did you see that first?
1: Well, when when we, as I said, as soon as we saw that tear gas was being deployed and that there was reinforcements coming from the uh, D.C. Metro Police, we knew something was wrong. So we raced up to that area and and it was a a small little stair, stair, uh, staircase area. We rounded the corner and then boom, I turned on my camera and the very first thing I see is I see people getting first aid. Um, and there was there was uh, an obvious fight going on between a line of of officers behind, that were that were protecting a uh, when I say bike rack barricade it's those you know metal barricades that we see around events all over the country uh, but the, they had their bike rack up and they were holding that line and people were pressing and, and forcing on that line there was um, there was. Uh, tear gas being deployed by the police. There were pepper spray uh, canisters and pepper and, and uh, pellets being deployed by the police. There were um, uh, flashbang grenades being launched into the, the crowd. And at this moment, because this was when I turned the camera on, it was basically exactly when Trump was concluding his speech back at the, the ellipse. And so this battle was already taking place before we arrived, before he finished his speech. And it's because the antagonists were already there. So suddenly everything that I had captured in my video prior to that at the rally and on the march down, uh, up the boulevards towards the, the Capitol building was a completely different type of people entered my camera frame. Now, now you're seeing all the combat gear. You're seeing people wearing tactical helmets and, and gas masks, you saw people prepared for violence because they were, they were the actual designated riot medics that were already working on people.
0: That's interesting. A point of timing here. Um, We were told, and I've listened to Trump's speech, but it's hard when you listen to it to know exactly the timing of that in relationship to what you're talking about. But based upon what you just said, the timing doesn't seem to fit the left narrative about what happened, that Trump told everybody at the end of his speech, go down there to the Capitol and just make your voices heard, storm the Capitol, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. That, that didn't happen. But the timing, it seems to say that what you were seeing was very pre-planned.
1: It was definitely pre-planned. Uh, there, were, there were groups that had intention for violence that day. At the very least, they had tension. They had intentions to see how far they could push it, and this was coordinated. And it was um, uh, they, those those individuals were pre-deployed at the Capitol long before Trump finished his speech, and even long before he encouraged everybody to go to the go to the Capitol. And 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 you have to understand, we're not talking about a five minute walk here you're talking about from the ellipse itself it's a mile and a half walk
0: yeah it's a wave if
1: if you were on if you were on the very outer um side of the washington monument lawn where hundreds of thousands of people were gathered because that was the largest portion of the crowd was there they couldn't even see the stage There there was only one big video monitor out there at the washington monument lawn and that that crowd was also more than a mile away from the capitol that, that's and that's not going to be a walk that people make in five minutes, fifteen minutes, or 20, you know, the average person's not going to walk a mile in less than 25, 27 minutes, something like that.
0: Let's go back to the Capitol now. You, this was your first glimpse of any violent kind of action happen. The flashbang grenades, the tear gas, people getting medical help. When did it break out? Like we're told, and even some of the pictures that we've been given, the movies. Um, mm-hmm. we see it jump right to all kind of radical things, people storming the building Excel. When did that begin?
1: Uh, it certainly, it certainly, as I said before, Trump, he was an hour late taking the stage to begin with. He took the stage at, if I recall correctly, I don't have my notes in front of me, but it was 11.57 a.m., so just before noon. And then he spoke until approximately one fifteen. We were at the Capitol before one fifteen, and before he concluded his speech, and it was already engaged.
0: Sounds a bit pre-planned to me.
1: Yeah. Well, there's there were there's there's other evidence, stark evidence that I captured in my own video, pre-planning, because there were also mainstream news videographers with their you know lanyards and their press badge uh, badges on you know hanging from their necks and they were wearing full combat gear these are these are mainstream press photographers they're down on the front line capturing these violent uh scenes in with all of their expensive professional gear and they're wearing combat helmets gas masks flag jackets full tactical gear they were tipped off they didn't they didn't come to the rally of peaceful middle America you know grassroots America protesters or rally you know uh, uh, participants they were not where the speeches were happening you would think that as a mainstream press videographer you would try to be as close to where the president is as you could possibly be. Well, that was a mile and a half away.
0: So you didn't see these people, these press people in riot gear, walking with you in the crowd from, from 1600 Pennsylvania down to the Capitol.
1: Absolutely not. They were already there. Somebody tipped them off.
0: Gotcha. So you first saw it, you guys were there. You ended up inside the Capitol Take us from realizing there was something really uh, ugly going on. Take us from that point to how you ended up being inside the Capitol.
1: For roughly an hour, I videoed and captured as much of the violence that was taking place as possible and trying to be safe in the process. So, you know, I, I, I unfortunately... Was because it was a very very windy day. I was often downwind from pepper spray coming from both sides. Because you know you had the you had the the violent perpetrators that were that had their own canisters of bear spray and such as that, blowing that into the crowd, and then of course you had the police with their big giant pepper spray guns blowing that in you know into the crowd. So all of this would get I, I would get downwind from that and and and. I don't know if you've ever been pepper sprayed, Dan, but that's not a thing you want.
0: Have not. Uh, don't want to be.
1: <laughs> no, you. Uh, and I'm not. A, and I'm not a riot chaser. You know, there there are guys who do this for a living. Uh, this is what they do, and they're very very good at it. And and I, I have a lot of respect for these guys. You know, guys like uh, uh, Andy No and Michael Yon and Elijah Schaefer, <clears throat> the guys that captured the the Kyle Rittenhouse videos. I mean, they were dude, these guys get into the front line of of all of these events. And, and so having accidentally found myself on the front line of these events, I have a lot more respect for those guys than I ever ever had thought of before. Because 90% of the time, I can't look into my viewfinder on my camera. I'm just looking to stay safe and, and get away from it. So I had to redeploy myself, you know, re, remove myself from certain areas more than once and then and as i said this happened for about an hour and then there was just this moment in time at about two fifteen, where all of a sudden it was over and and but when and i mean it caught me by surprise because this was at a time when it was at its absolute most violent and the crowd that was gathered as spectators and watching this was at its largest and it was thousands of people surrounding us people were cheering and people were singing the national anthem and they were chanting and they were waving their flags while this small group of less than 200 violent perpetrators were engaged with the cops. But then there was this moment where it just stopped. And And I looked up and, and I'm completely shocked and taken aback because it seemed to be at that moment, it wasn't a breach because the, the, the law enforcement had been um, reinforced adequately at this point against and, – and, and, Dan, i got to be very specific about this. Please. They had been reinforced adequately against a group of violent perpetrators with nothing more than sticks, cattle prods, um, flagpoles. And canisters of bear spray.
0: That's another and the, piece of evidence that kind of points towards pre-planned.
1: The president said today, and I quote, he said that it was a fully armed, you know, insurrection or or insurgent group. And I'm just sitting there and I'm looking at that going. The only group that was fully armed that day was law enforcement. They had firearms. Well and yet they never brandish them and use them to stop this crowd from pressing them at any point in the day or at any layer of barricading on the Capitol property. Those weapons were never drawn against this particular uh, group of people who were carrying sticks and flagpoles.
0: Numerous times since then, I have dived into and researched trying to find verification of armed insurrectionists that were there. And so far, I would think, I've, I've only found one such incident that happened. And uh, nothing came from that one incident, one person. But I'm, I'm trying to figure out, this was an insurrection. This was an attack on democracy. This was a coup, we've been told, which would involve military, which absolutely did not happen. But if this was planned and coordinated to overthrow the government— to do anything to members of Congress when they were there to establish and finalize the Electoral College votes, I don't think too many Americans would show up for that unarmed.
1: Yeah, well, I I keep saying this over and over and over again, but uh, sticks, flagpoles, bear spray against a fully armed law enforcement agency does not an insurrection make. And as a result of that, just truth, that truth bomb, that reality that people need to get into their heads. Of the 727 people who have so far been charged for a variety of crimes that day, not one single one of those charges is the the crime of insurrection or sedition.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. There are a lot of interesting moving parts and very few facts. Uh, To get inside of all of this, it's virtually impossible, and there have begun to be a few whistleblowers that have come out very quietly and obviously mostly anonymously because you don't know what's going to happen. 700 people, most of them, didn't do anything, haven't been charged with any serious crime. I think there have been several people that have been prosecuted, pled guilty, and did some nasty stuff, but not anything close to 700, right?
1: No, of the 727 so far charged with crimes, only I, I think as as of today somewhere between 100 and 40 and maybe up to as many as 150 have actually been charged with assaulting police officers. That's interesting. Even the even the Department of Justice has said they expect only as many as 225 people to be charged with violence.
0: That's really amazing. There are so many moving parts in this, and I think that feeds into their planning uh, because this all, all of the aftermath of this, we're a year later, and Americans still don't know the facts of this event. This January 6th selects committee that Nancy Pelosi has impaneled, they're not even thinking about getting facts about what happened there. I mean— It's because the people that
1: are asking the real questions— are not the people on either side of the political aisle now? We now we had we had Thomas Massey, you know, the the uh, representative Republican representative from Kentucky, yeah. who uh, a couple of weeks ago grilled Attorney General Attorney General Merrick Garland, and sh- literally showed him video evidence of an agent provocateur who was apparently working as an embedded agent of the FBI called him by name, showed that this guy had originally been on the FBI's most wanted list on their website for January 6th uh, perpetrators, and then was days later scrubbed from that website. The internet never never forgets.
0: All we can do about that, and I'm just like you, when I saw that and heard it happen, I instantly went to try to get details. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. It's like...
1: it's not on the government side
0: yeah i was gonna say it doesn't fit that narrative on that side so they just try to erase all of that that happens in a lot of places on earth but that is never supposed to happen here
1: yeah no it it, it's it it's not supposed to happen in america and and this is just a quick aside it not only happens at the highest levels of government where they scrub their own information it's like oops that got out let's remove it well fortunately a lot of smart people that do a lot of things with data screenshot all of this. They make, you know, they capture all of these, all of these um, uh, events before they are taken down. But, but as an aside, it happens at the highest levels of government, and it, and it happened to me again yesterday on my my Facebook page. You know, I have a I have a, tens of thousands of followers on the Pragmatic Constitutionalist Facebook page, and I was put into Facebook jail yesterday. And you know what I posted? What? i posted a montage of actual quotes from president biden dr fauci kamala harris um uh go, just go down the list of bureaucratic officials and other media officials who said early on when the rollout of the vaccine the, the COVID vaccines happened that if you take the vaccine you will not get sick remember oh yeah that's they used to say that and then <laughs> and then and then, so there's this great montage that I found on YouTube. I posted that on my Facebook page a couple of weeks ago. Well, yesterday I opened up um, my account to post a live podcast announcement that I was doing yesterday afternoon. And I was, I was not allowed to post. It said that I had violated community standards for posting actual quotes from the president of the United States.
0: It didn't fit the narrative. You can't do that. You've got to play the game. That. <laughs> well, no,
1: that's they're they're it, it's it you know we, we use this phrase Orwellian probably too much yeah but this is as Orwellian as it gets. You're scrubbing history,
0: rewriting history to fit a political narrative rather than fit into a actual factual historical examination.
1: That's exactly what's happening.
0: He who is in power makes all the rules, right? You know that one about he who, he who has all the gold definitely makes all the decisions. Well, if you've got control of the ink and the internet, you determine everything that's said and to whom it is said.
1: My and my favorite, my favorite part of, 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 or, or if we carry that quote to the next level, you you've heard it said that you know power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Yeah. But my favorite, my favorite author, Frank Herbert, he took it another step further. He said, or is it just that the corruptible are the ones that are attracted to power? And, and, and that seems to be exactly where we are right now.
0: Makes you wonder why anybody wants to run for office and go to Washington DC, unless there's this lust for power and control and, that they can't find in their world. But if we get into politics, maybe, just maybe, we can get some of that.
1: And Dan, just for a small handful of people, and I'm standing looking out my hotel room here in Washington right now, and and except for just a very small handful of people operating up there on Capitol Hill, these are narcissistic power mongers that occupy that space.
0: No question about that. Hey, listen, we're, we're going to get from where we are now into the Capitol. We've got to do a break in just a minute. Why don't we go ahead and take the break early? And when we come back, I want you to take us inside the Capitol and take us all the way down to where Ashley Babbitt got shot and what right. was going on around you. That's up next. Steve Baker with us now, live from Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's the first anniversary of, of the January 6th insurrection a year ago today. He was there, and we're getting a first-hand story from a professional journalist. We're learning a lot. He'll be back and take us inside the Capitol after this.
2: Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. language for life celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold now try babel for free at babel.com just go to babel.com and start learning a new language today that's babel.com b-a-b-b-e-l.com how to improve your dining room by the home depot new wood floors new paint on the walls sure you know us for that but how about a new dining room table matching chairs bar stools How about free and flexible delivery with easy online returns? Now you can explore decor in a whole new way. Save now on furniture. Everything for your home. Everything from HomeDepot.com. How doers get more done. U.S. only valid through September 7th. Limitations apply. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities.
0: Turn it up. Wow. Now that's a smart speaker. Turn it up real loud. You're listening to a couple of musicians here. Keyboard on my part. Steve Davis joins. uh, Steve Baker, excuse me, joins us today from Washington D.C. He's a drummer on top of being a professional trumpet player. Trumpet. I thought you were drummer.
1: No, I heard you say that earlier. I thought you were joking. (laughs) I
0: I I completely lost that. I forgot that. Please forgive me.
1: Uh, Oh no. You don't want me in your band as a drummer. Trust
0: me. (laughs) Well, we never had a trumpet player in our group, but we had some good drummers. Maybe we needed you. (laughs) Our mutual friend Steve Munz probably wouldn't have liked that then. Anyway, Uh, we want to get back into what you saw a year ago today in uh, Washington, D.C. From the White House all the way down to the U.S. Capitol, we heard about that outside environment, what it looked like, and what you were beginning to see. How did you get from where you were into the Capitol? Tell us that story.
1: Well, where we where we left off last was at the moment in time on the Capitol um, veranda where the violence was taking place, and this had been I'd been filming this for about an hour at the time, and then. It, approximately 2:15, everything changed there was suddenly a halt in the resistance from law enforcement in my view there had been an obvious stand down order because there was no reason for them to allow that crowd to, to enter first of all as we talked about already the crowd was nowhere near as large as the uh, mainstream media has has um portrayed and when i say crowd i meant the violent portion of the crowd we're talking about less than 200 people on that side of the building against, you know, a a large and growing contingency of Capitol police and and DC Metro police that, that, that police line was never breached. They were suddenly ordered to pull back and it happened in a split moment in time. My video camera did not catch that moment, but I've seen it from other angles and other people's uh, perspectives. And when that happened, suddenly there was this free flow of humanity going up those steps that were underneath the scaffolding. You probably recall, Dan, that that was the side of the Capitol where the inaugural address was being prepared uh, that was to take place a couple of uh, weeks after January
0: 6th. If you look at those, those pictures, they have one that they show everybody, and it's some guy actually crawling up the scaffolding, hanging up, trying to climb over the wall up there to get inside.
1: Yeah there, there there was a lot of that action going on <laughs> and, and and there was there was not only the guys that were crawling up and scaling those those um the scaffolding and tearing back the canvassing that, that covered the scaffolding. But then you had the agents provocateur who were waving the crowd into battle, you know, trying to get more and more people to become active in the process. And so at this moment in time that I described, suddenly there's no more resistance up on that next top level, which is actually the main capital floor. And, and, I looked up and I saw I saw this free flow of humanity going up to the next level with no resistance from law enforcement whatsoever. So after I don't know a hundred or a couple hundred people had moved up that um, uh, the, that staircase that was now you know that was uh, covered by the scaffolding and, and uh, canvassing, I joined in that crowd and moved up as well to the next level. And when I reached that level and turned my camera on again. I did another 360 panoramic shot of everything that was going on around. And the most important piece of information that everybody needs to know at this point is as hundreds of people were like just methodically and calmly getting in line to file in through an open door there on the west side of the Capitol, the law enforcement that were gathered were doing absolutely nothing. They were standing aside. They were not offering any resistance whatsoever. They were not telling anyone, hey, you can't do this. They were not warning anyone not to. They were either on their phones. They were texting. They were talking and standing in small groups. And I have this on my camera, a fully armed law enforcement agency allowing hundreds of people to just flow past them into the Capitol. I have video.
0: I have video of two Capitol Police officers, uh, I guess one of the sidewalks going up to the Capitol entrance, those, as you called them, what did you call them, bicycle barriers? Bike barriers? Bike rack. Bike rack rack, barriers. Mm -hmm. Uh, One big long one, one on each end, and you could hear the audio. They voluntarily went over and each of them, one on each end, grabbed that, and pulled it out of the way, And when one of those two guys set his end down, he started waving to people, telling them audibly, y'all come on in, y'all come on in.
1: Yeah, we've seen those and those, obviously we're not going to see those videos in Nancy Pelosi's investigative committee. (laughs) Obviously. No, those will not be produced, but they are widely available on the internet for anybody who wants to see those. Uh, But, but I will tell you the, the door that I eventually went through had in fact been breached because Several minutes ahead of the law enforcement officers, um, uh, or should I say immediately after they pulled back, the the actual violent perpetrators, the guys who were carrying axe handles, the guys who um, uh, had been doing violence against law enforcement, they went up to this window... And they bash that window in. And we've all seen that video. They bash it in. And then they all started climbing through. And the identifying difference between those people, those individuals, and the hundreds of thousands of others that were at the rally were these were the guys wearing the combat gear. You know what I mean? They had the tactical gear on, the helmets, and the face masks, and all, you know, the, the gas masks. They were ready. And they were ready. And they go crawling through the window, and then they opened that door up from the inside but this they didn't reach that window by breaching the police line because again Dan this is a guy with an axe handle against a bunch of officers with firearms
0: so they were never accosted by these police
1: absolutely not you can't you cannot tell me that what is supposed to be ostensibly one of the most secure facilities on the planet was breached by guys with flagpoles, axe handles, bear spray against a fully armed police department. If they did not want them in that building, nobody would have been in that building.
0: It's interesting to me that we've not heard any whistleblower from the Capitol Police Force come forward. You would think 2,300 people numbered among them would be somebody that would say, wait a minute, this this was bad, this was wrong.
1: Let's talk about that.
0: Okay, go for it.
1: There's, there's, there's growing evidence that they are being told not to talk. I have personally listened to podcasts with some of the more famous, um, as they're being uh, portrayed by media as heroes from the Capitol Police Force, I'm doing podcasts with the New York Times. Right? We're not talking about any uh, fringe-type uh, news organization. Sure. And in those podcast interviews, and then subsequent written stories, they were asked the question, what were your command orders that day? And they openly say, we will not answer those questions.
0: No reason for not answering.
1: They they don't even give a reason. They say, we will not talk about what our command orders were that day. So that is on the record. This is a New York Times journalist in a podcast, asking Officer Dunn, one of the more more, you know, celebrated oh, yeah. figures yeah. that day, asking him what their orders were that day, and him saying, I will not talk about our orders.
0: Well, of course, if it was pressed by anybody with credibility, and I'm I'm denigrating the New York Times' credibility. I know that surprises yeah, well, you, but if anybody that had some integrity would ask questions and press them, I promise you it would end up here. That's classified information.
1: Well, that's that's what we that's what we're beginning to see now. So we take we take that part of the narrative to the next question: Why have four officers that were engaged that day committed suicide within the weeks following?
0: We could spend all day talking about On that. that one. Yeah,
1: the psychology behind it. because even even if this was an issue of PTSD. And we now know that it wasn't 2,000 police officers. We know that it was only a couple of hundred Capitol Police reinforced by another couple of hundred of Metro Police. That it wasn't nearly the size of a law enforcement deployment that day um, as we've been led to believe. So this wasn't four suicides out of 2,300 Capitol Police officers. This was four out of a few hundred. Yeah. That's a big number.
0: Your explanation for that, do you have one?
1: No, we can only speculate that they they either were psychologically shattered by the events of that day, severe PTSD, followed by depression that leads to suicide, or they couldn't bear the truth that they knew. And that's pure speculation. I'm not going to stand on that and plant my flag
0: there. Well, I got to be honest with you. If you're in law enforcement and you've spent your career, your professional career, doing what they knew they were supposed to do, where they were working, the U.S. Capitol, which is supposed to be, as you said, the safest, most protected building on the planet, that's a big deal. I guarantee you some of them felt like when what happened happened, they fell down on the job. There had to be some... uh, very uh, self-denigration going on among those, some of those people. Maybe that weighed into it. But then on the other I, end of the spectrum, yeah. other end of the spectrum, um, you know, Vince Foster committed suicide, and the first I saw it—the first autopsy report, the original one—I saw it in person, face to face, shot twice in the back of the head, and if you ask somebody that knew, and of course that autopsy report disappeared, the one that replaced it can't be found either. Uh, But Vince, he missed. He didn't die the first time he shot himself. He had to shoot himself again. Those kind of things actually happen in this world. And right now, Steve, I'm going to play the conspiracy theorist role and say this. This feeling, this feeling is growing among many, many, many more American people than there are Republicans, you know, those evil Republicans, and I'm not one of them, by the way. I'm an independent. Um, The feeling is growing that there are a lot of really bad things that have been going on that play heavily into the whole landscape of what you're sharing with us today. It just doesn't all fit together Smoothly, you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, and and I don't I don't have to go into. In fact, I was I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about this. Is that is that anybody that knows me, especially the people who have followed my writings for you know twenty years, they they know that I am the first guy to eschew the conspiratorial aspect of anything. I I don't I don't start screaming false flag, and if you start screaming false flag, I probably Run the other direction. Sure. Um, the the last time that I was, I, I think that I was, uh, you know, caught off guard by my own good senses were, you know, the the Y two K thing from nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. And and, but you know, I I never have ever bought into the false flag conspiracies, whether it was related to Pearl Harbor, whether it was related to nine eleven. Are related to um, January 6th, until I started doing my own investigations, because obviously after that day, it's become a bit of an obsession with me. And when you start doing, and when you have your own video, and you start doing hours upon hours of frame-by-frame close-up analysis, you start seeing things that don't make sense.
0: I'm a puzzle. And you start asking I'm a puzzle guy. I like jigsaw puzzles. I like puzzles. It's a challenge. And and what I'm doing. I'm also doing what you do in a different way, in a different area. Mm-hmm. But I'm a big researcher. My wife hates that part of what I do here because <laughs> it it just takes my time. You can't just fall into a lot of things today that are factual when you're looking for them. Why is that? Because we're not getting all the truth all the time. And most of the time you don't get the truth unless you dig in and find it for yourself. So most Americans, most Americans don't have a clue about anything that may have been going on that day, just simply because they've only seen and heard what they've been told. So you get inside the Capitol, you guys are in there and then you begin to do what, how did it happen? What rolled out after you got through the door?
1: Well, the, the, the scene was variously uh chaotic and and both celebratory kind of way from the people that were actively involved in in um uh pressing the police line and breaching those windows and doors so you had you had a celebratory kind of atmosphere between them you know so they're, they're they're crying out and chanting, you know, we did it. We, you know, this is our house and we've taken our house, that sort of thing. Then you have the next group of people that were not involved in any violence. That basically were taking it in as a a celebratory tourist attraction. You know, it was like, they're, they're just watching everything unfold in front of them. They weren't doing anything wrong, certainly nothing illegal. And then all of a sudden the doors were open. There's no restricted area signs. There's no sign that says, you know, you can't enter. There's no resistance from the law enforcement any longer at this point, and so hundreds of people just go, "Hey, we can go in the Capitol now." And it was, this was grandfathers, uh, grandmothers. This were children. These were um, some people in business suits that had obviously wandered over from their DC office just to just to gawk at the spectacle, and they just walked in with the crowd.
0: So were you, these are
1: all things that I captured on my camera.
0: Were you um, were you ever? Did you ever feel that you were in danger yourself, physical danger?
1: Oh, outside, I had to I had to relocate on the battle line because so, I got close. I mean, I was yeah. really trying to get as close to the action as I possibly could, and I captured some incredible video as a result of that, but there were times when I needed to, for my own safety, I needed to get out of the way. Uh, but once we were in the building, I never felt endangered at all because, again, there's no... The, we've seen other people's videos of the initial moments when the violent perpetrators got in the building and they were being confronted by law enforcement yet again. Yeah. And yet again, law enforcement did not pull their firearms and stop these insurgents' progress. They never did.
0: Now but that's not what we're that's shot. not that's not what we're led to believe. The American public believe that armed people actually stormed into the Capitol and took on those Capitol police. We've seen them in one case, that's the Ashley Babbitt case. And we'll get to that in a mm-hmm. couple of minutes, but the perception out there is that there was a bunch of armed rioters and they overwhelmed the Capitol police.
1: And, and, and of course that is one of the, that is one of the false and most pervasive parts of this narrative because and, – and as we said in the last hour, as I said in the last hour, a, a group of individuals with flagpole sticks and bear spray does not an insurrection make against a fully armed law enforcement agency.
0: Correct.
1: It's just not possible, Dan. And for anyone – and so uh, let, let's just, let's just uh, jump ahead for just a moment. Nine and a half months later, I was invited into an FBI interview to discuss what I saw that day right and we voluntarily agreed to that interview myself and my attorney and during that interview as i pressed the fbi themselves and i even said to them if you guys and i said not you to the agents that were sitting at the table with me i said that if you two, if you guys, as in your agencies and the other agencies involved at D.C., had done your job that day, I would not be sitting in this FBI interview room right now.
0: How was that the received? The
1: fact is, uh, they, well, one of the agents said, what were we supposed to do? Shoot them? <laughs> and you know what I said? What did you say? You know say? what I said? What? I said, well, guess what? I said, when that one shot was fired... And every law enforcement officer in that place drew their weapons for the first time that day. It was over.
0: Interesting. It would have been, in other words, it would have been over.
1: All that had to be done.
0: Yeah.
1: It could have been over two hours before then.
0: That's amazing. If those
1: officers had been allowed to do their job, which is why I keep asking the question, what were the command orders that day and where were they coming from? So on on, so I started asking those questions early based on the the, the, the unanswered questions that were jumping off of my own you know cons- computer screen yeah. as I analyzed my own video. So on fe- February twenty fourth, I wrote a follow up story. It's quite long, quite extensive. It's on the pragmaticconstitutionalist.com com uh, website, and that story asked the question: Who was up the chain on January sixth? And I call out both. Um, mcconnell and pelosi because that's their building sure and they have liaisons both both mcconnell and pelosi have liaisons directly with the capitol police that answer to them not the other way around they had to they
0: had to at least know what was happening and what wasn't happening
1: Somebody was making a command decision early in the day when the first outer barricades were breached, and let's use that word. Yeah. When those first outer, ca- outer barricades were breached, and someone made the determination that this small group of stick wielding and bear spray can wielding combat gear well wearing people should be allowed up to the next level. Hmm. Because it, that, that didn't even need to happen.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: And then somebody allowed that to escalate up at that veranda level. And for an over an hour, an hour by my own video account, but it was already in play before I got there. It was allowed to continue. It was allowed to escalate. It was allowed to get more violent. And Dan, I believe that as they were determining that, hey, you know what? These guys don't have firearms. They've got sticks and bear spray. Somebody said at some point, okay, let them into the next level.
0: Wow. That's just unfathomable. Now let me let me let me go to the next level. Ashley Babbitt, the only person that was shot that day, only person that died, was shot by a Capitol Hill policeman inside the Capitol. Were you in the proximity when that event occurred?
1: I was um on the exact same side of the capitol building which was the uh, the house chamber side and there was a dividing large very very large dividing stairwell between the area where she was shot and where i was at the time because there was a moment in time where all of a sudden as i said everything inside the capitol changed what took place was if you've probably seen that famous uh, photography shots of those uh, plainclothes officers, including some congressmen, holding their guns on a, an entry door yes. coming into that yeah. chamber. You've seen that? Yeah. Right. So I was on the other side of that door. Huh. Now, when I say I was on the other side of that door, I wasn't pressed up against it. I was quite far down that hallway, but I was over I, every, every, In every single room, chamber, statuary hall, whatever that I, that I entered, I tried to get up and away and away from that so I could capture what the crowd was doing. I never was in the middle of the crowd. And so uh, that's why some of my, my videos have been used by news services all over the world. Because yeah. I, I purposely I, – I wasn't in there taking selfies. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, got I was it. doing my job. Yeah, And so what ended up happening – is there was another one of those moments where the crowd was pressing so intensely that it was you know just dangerous to be and, and a woman was crushed to death. We, there's been very little reporting about that, but you know there was a woman crushed to death in one of those crowds.
0: I heard a story it, that 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 said that, but I've never heard yeah. any repeat of it.
1: The, there's there's been very very little coverage of it, but mainstream press didn't cover it back in January, and then, it, and then the story went away. That's but it, it is out there. It yeah. is available. Um, and, and so what ended up happening is once again, I needed to get out of the crush and get to a safe and secure position where I could video what was going on. And then in, and I, I turned my camera off for a moment. This was like the second time of the day I really regret turning my camera off because at that moment, all of a sudden I hear screams, tear gas, tear gas, tear gas. And there is a stampede going on the other direction away from the uh, house chamber main door that we've seen those photos on from the inside. And fortunately I I was already up against the the wall and out of the way, even behind, uh, behind a kind of a corner section in the hallway. So I did not get crushed in the stampede, but I turned the camera back on and that whole area filled up with tear gas. Wow. And then, And then the next morning uh, on market watch, there was a famous um, (laughs) photo that has been used by news services all over the world. You can see this guy with a black backpack, a ball cap on black jacket with a camera walking right into the green cloud of tear gas. And that was me. I've seen that. Yeah.
0: When we come back for our last segment, Here's where I want you to take us. I want you to take us to the end of your interaction at the Capitol that day. And then I want you to tell us what's happened regarding the aftermath and regarding you and what you are facing now. And then from the top level, looking down with your tens of thousands of hours of investigation and uh, editing and looking at video and listening and doing research. I want your conclusion. What in your mind actually happened, and why? We'll do. We'll be back with Steve Baker. He is, um, yeah, he is still in Washington D.C. and uh, there's a lot going on still there. We want you to. We want you to hear everything that's he's facing, and why. And he'll be back to share that with us. Right after this. Real Truth, Real News, TNN, the Truth News Network.
1: Welcome aboard Pizza Hut, where our legendary pan and stuffed crust pizzas will fly you to a world of flavors. Taste an all American pizza sauce, juicy pepperoni, and farm fresh mozzarella to discover America's mega pepperoni or explore the creamy pesto sauce. Chicken and Mushroom is in the French Creamy Chicken Mushroom. Fly far above the rest in taste and variety with five new pizzas. And thank you for flying Pizza Hut.
3: Beat Yourself Up Hotline. Is this the Beat Yourself Up Hotline? Yes, sir. If you'd like to beat yourself up, this is the place to do it.
1: Okay, I'd like to beat myself up now, please. Go right ahead
3: when you're comfortable.
1: I am so stupid. I can't believe how stupid I am. What an idiot. I left all my holiday shipping until the last minute again. Now it's a huge hassle. Why do I have to do this to myself every year?
3: When, oh, when will I learn? You beat yourself up very well, sir. Thanks. But maybe you should just log on to SmartShip.com.
1: SmartShip.com?
3: Right. Type in your zip code, and SmartShip.com tells you the fastest, easiest, most affordable way to do your holiday shipping, even at the last minute.
1: Wow, SmartShip.com. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I think of that? Well... Why do I have to have somebody else tell me what to do? Oh, sir... When, oh, when will I ever have an original thought?
3: You're really good at this, sir. I've been told it's a gift.
2: Smartship.com, the way smart shipping is done. As the sum of each generation before it, the next generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon and a Corvette a Corvette.
0: Steve Baker professional trumpet player, journalist. He was in Washington, D.C. in the middle of the January 6th insurrection a year ago. He's with us, telling us that story. Now, Steve, you're in the Capitol. You've been walking around watching all of the chaos ensue. Tell us what happened to end that day and then just segue right into what's happened to you. Personally. Yeah. Since well as as
1: as that at that moment I, I mentioned where the tear gas was deployed outside the, the uh representatives chamber door. That's a lot of syllables to say in once. I, I I went into where the tear gas had been deployed, obviously to record and capture what was happening. And this was at exactly two forty six PM uh, that day. I then rounded a corner and was headed towards the House Ways and Means Committee Chamber sometime in between that moment when the tear gas was deployed and I turned my camera on at 246 and I got to the House Ways and Means uh, Chamber door, Ashley Babbitt was shot. And everything changed at that moment, because for the first time all day long, every law enforcement agency in the building, our agent or officer in the building drew their weapons. And then their radios were exploding with chatter, shots fired. We need triage on such and such a floor. Uh, it was just an incredibly chaotic moment. Um, and, and rather, with our limited time here, diving into everything I saw in that moment unbeknownst to me because I did not hear the shot but just directly across the staircase um, large large double staircase um, uh, section of the, that side of the Capitol, there was where Ashley had been shot Ashley Babbitt had been shot I didn't know that all I could hear was over the police chatter shots fired, shots fired, shots fired and now for the first time all day long law enforcement officers are now interacting with me they're coming up to us and saying does anybody have weapons does anybody have weapons and I you can hear me say no all we have are cameras (laughs) and and then and and then you have one officer going okay 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 and and then he turned back around and this is right in close up face to face in my camera frame him saying okay okay it's not us it's not us he was like apologizing And letting us know that whatever was going wrong at that moment in the building was not them.
0: What do you think that was about?
1: Dan, there were, let's just be, again, let's be honest to the point of beyond the approved narrative. Okay. There were bad people doing bad things there that day. Unforgivable things, and they need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law.
0: I think most Americans will agree with that. There were a lot of bad things that happened, and everybody that did them needs to be held accountable. But this picture that's been painted of everyone that was in D.C. that day were MAGA supporters and a bunch of idiots that were insurrectionists. It's not anything like that. You didn't see that, did you?
1: No, Then, but see, not only were there bad people doing bad things, there were good people that got caught up in that psychic mass hypnosis of the moment. And, and this has been known about rioting and warfare and uh, this type of we, – well, we saw it all in 2020 during the BLM Antifa yeah. post-George Floyd death riots. Good people that have never broken the law in their life, have never looted a store in their life, never burned down a gas station in their life, start doing that stuff.
0: There was, many years ago, a phrase, a term that was labeling that mentality. It's called mob mentality. Everybody is right. caught up in the moment, and a lot of people just join into whatever's going on. So
1: some people, unfortunately, made the mistake of allowing their emotions get to them and joined into the fray and committed illegal acts. But there were also good people doing good things that day that were trying to protect law enforcement we have video of that yeah we have we have people reprimanding those who are breaking windows or breaking other items inside the capitol saying don't do this don't do that's not us we have video i have video conversations between people at the rally pushing through the violent people and going up to the law enforcement and apologizing to them and saying hey we support you guys this isn't us this is not what we're about
0: that side of this equation, for obvious reasons, has been missing. People like yeah, and, and, you, people like you, that, need to be need to be heard.
1: And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of those videos, but they're being suppressed.
0: Yeah, so gotcha. But
1: they're but they're they're out there in the alternative media for anybody with an open mind that wants to go see this thing and find it, find this information. So so at this point now you have an officer who's clearly not being um, uh, approached by people with violent intention who's now apologizing saying it's not us, it's not us. All right, so I've got to skip forward for the sake of time here and and, and tell you what happened next. Please. Unfortunately, you know, nature eventually calls. Sure. <laughs> I had been I had been at the Capitol since nine thirty that morning. Yeah. Now it's approaching three o'clock and have not seen a restroom <laughs> for that entire time. And I had plenty of coffee that morning at breakfast, but it—but it, it, but it had never crossed my mind. But but suddenly, in the middle of this incredible chaos, with all of these guns and these weapons drawn, right in the middle of this, I, now I'm seeing fully, uh, full tactical units are coming up the stairs. ATF police reinforcements from Metro to Police. This is an incredibly chaotic scene that I've captured. It's one of the most—it's one of the most uh, amazing scenes of the entire episode that day. But this guy, this gentleman, walks up to me and asks this uh, female Capitol police officer. She said, "He goes, is there a restroom in the area?" <laughs> and of course, you know how your you know how your brain does it. That's like, oh crap! Now I haven't had to think about this in five, six hours, and yeah. now he's got it in my head.
0: <laughs> you gotta <laughs> go. You gotta go.
1: Yeah, and and so. He, she, the, 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 officer said to him, she said, well, I don't usually work on this side of the building, but she said, you're welcome to go downstairs and see if there's one down there. So he took off running down the stairs
0: <laughs>
1: and I, I, I had no other choice, but to turn my camera off. And I asked her the same question. She says, yeah, yeah, go on. And so, <laughs> so I went down the stairs and by the time I got to the lower level of the Capitol, I was completely alone. Wow. And I'm wandering down a hallway just looking for a sign that says men's room or water closet or whatever. Yeah. And I never saw one. But as I turned to go back another direction in my pursuit of a facility, all of a sudden somebody grabbed my right arm. And I looked over to my right. It was a very short, white, uh, capital uh, female police officer, very small in stature. And her hands are shaking as she takes my right arm. And she says, sir, can I safely escort you out of the building? And I said, well, do I need to be safely escorted out of the building? She said, yes, sir, you do. And I said, okay. And then the most extraordinary exchange and conversation happened as we started working towards, I think it was the south exit door on the lower side. Over and over again, she kept asking me the same thing. Sir, do you feel safe now? I said, yeah, I'm fine. And she asked me again. Yes, I'm fine. She asked me a third time and she said, sir, do you feel safe now? And I just, I stopped and I looked at her and I said, I'm fine. Do you feel safe? And she said, no, I don't. Wow. And at that exact moment, I, and I didn't realize it until hindsight, she was trying to occupy my attention and keep me from looking to the left because she was escorting me, holding my right arm. Immediately, I heard the commotion, and I looked to the left, and six feet from my feet was a person covered in blood being worked on by police officers trying to save somebody's life. I jerked my head back around, and I said to her, I said, is he shot? She said, yes. Notice I said he. Yeah. Because I couldn't see, because of all the blood and the hands on the bare chest, I couldn't see that it was a woman. And you just, you know, you don't think about a woman being shot. It's just no, not the first no thing that don't. crosses your mind. Yeah. And so I said, I said, is he shot? She said, yes, he is. I said, who shot him? She said, we did. I said, why? She said, because he pulled a gun on us. Oh. Okay, now understand, in this chaos... And this is only minutes after the shooting had happened. All they're hearing is the chaos on the radio. She did not witness the shooting. There's speculation. Nobody knows. It's just police radios squawking loudly everywhere. Emotion All at the they're moment. Hearing,
0: Emotion yeah, at they, the moment.
1: Yeah, they don't know. It's chaos. Yeah. And so she was just reporting her from her own assumptions and what she's hearing over the radio. So she, she takes me to this exit door, and right as we get to the door, those doors bust open, and the gurney and the EMT unit is coming in, that door. Wow. So we step aside, and then I walk out the door, and she said, sir, be safe. I said, you too. Have a good day. And so I realized now I'm actually inside a barricaded police line at this side, this exit entry on the lower level of the Capitol. I'm actually inside the police line. So knowing that the gurney had just come in that door, I knew that it would be coming out that door within moments. So I posted up, I went down a ramp and then I came around and I posted up dead in front of that door. Turned my camera on 30 seconds later, the door opened. 30 seconds after that, with a full, heavily armed, with automatic rifles, tactical unit, are escorting this gurney out, and they are still working on this person feverishly, and I start very closely and zooming in, following this gurney down. I am the only photographer there that day who captured this event. I did not know that. And I am the only one, and my video's been used all over the world, but that, that scene as she's coming down once she cleared a couple of the bigger pillars that were obstructing my camera frame view for the first time I went and you can hear, you can hear me. I actually, in the background, I exclaim quietly, Oh, this is a woman. Hmm. Because I could see now the bare breasts where yeah. ch- the shirt had been removed. Yeah. And unfortunately I have, very close up video of her face, and she was already gone. Dads, you know, I've yeah. seen death before. She was gone. She was no longer occupying that body, and um, and I followed the gurney out. Once they got out of my camera range, I then chose to exit calmly. No, no police ever said anything to me from film. You know, I obviously looked like I was doing my job that day, uh, uh, and so. Even though I was inside a police line, I was never asked to leave. I was never asked what I was doing. Nobody said a word to me. But I finally exited uh, the barricades and got out my phone because at this point I'd been um, separated from the gentleman that I had gone to D.C. with for about an hour and a half or two hours. And I texted him. I said, shots fired. Woman has been hit. And I, sa- I said the words, she's not going to make it. Yeah. And this was before it was reported or confirmed uh, because I saw her, I saw her eyes and uh, knew she was gone. And so um, that was the end of my, it wasn't the end of my day. I ended up doing some interviews uh, that day with uh, local um, news agencies. Yeah. Uh, posted my first video that night from my hotel room. I went away and I, I squirreled myself away for about five or six days and started working on my videos and started working on writing the story. And then I wrote a ninety five hundred word blog on the uh everything that I'd seen that day. And uh all of that that was posted on January thirteenth. My follow-up story was February twenty fourth. I have uh had my videos that have been used in numerous uh, newscasts around the world with crediting me and It was nine and a half months after that that I got a call from the FBI.
0: Wow. I'm going to give you a second to breathe. I just want to kind of recap what we've been talking about here. Steve Baker is with us. He was at the January 6th Insurrection Act in Washington, D.C. a year ago. He is a journalist, and he was there, has, I mean, massive amounts of video. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to encourage you to go to the Pragmatic constitutionalist.com his website there's all kinds of really good follow-up articles i read both of those first two and by the way steve you're a really good writer um and uh this is something that we all here at truth news network you and us here we believe in dig in investigate find facts find sources that you can trust not because they say maybe what you want them to say and things that make you feel warm and fuzzy, but you can verify and be comfortable with the fact that they're telling you the truth. And when they give you an editorial opinion, they say, we believe this is real. We haven't been yet able to verify it, but we want you to know it's out there. And if and when we find out it is for sure real, we'll come back and confirm it. If we find out it's false, we'll tell you that as well. Find those places to go to get information steve has an afterlife after january 6th and steve tell us exactly what has gone on and you have been investigated and you are being investigated tell us where you stand in all of that today
1: Uh, it it, you have to fast forward nine as i said nine and a half months after the, the events of january 6th I had just assumed because of my long history of being a writer and political analyst and a blogger. And because I have tens of thousands of followers and, and you know how, you know how a study or story gives when it goes viral, I've, I've had, I've had stories that have been seen by hundreds of thousands and even up to a million and a half people, uh, you know, based on the data that we collect from our websites, you know how that works. Yeah. And, and so, uh, I just assumed after this many months had passed that I was not going to be one of those ones caught up in the with even a simple charge of trespassing inside the building because I do not have capital press credentials. That's a very specific credential and um, many, many other videographers and photojournalists and writers that entered the Capitol that day also did not have. Um, the specific capital press credentials. so technically, they were also trespassing that day.
0: I wondered, as, I, I knew that happened, I knew that was a case and I've I've, yep. I've never been able to find out why. All of those mainstream news outlets, they know these things, and they have, they're accustomed to, and they have outlets in the government where they can easily go get those identification tags for their people there were a bunch of people that they that didn't have that i still haven't gotten a good explanation for that
1: well it, it's because and it's becoming more and more um, uh, more frequent because this is the age. this is truly the age of the independent journalist i mean with yeah. the advent of the internet and blogging and everyone having a cell phone camera in high definition of uh, most of the greatest Captures of the live events that are happening right now are, are happening because of the independent journalists that are there and on the front lines. Had it not been for the independent journalists that captured every single moment of the Kyle Rittenhouse story, that kid would be spending the rest of his life in jail. I agree. And it was not a single mainstream news service that captured that event.
0: And what was interesting in that case, and we'll move on real quickly, was... The actual footage that saved his life happened to be shot from an FBI drone that showed that those two people, uh, two of the three people that he shot were actually shooting, chasing him, and shooting him. The general public didn't know that. Right.
1: And, and, and of course, then what we also didn't know until the trial is why were the FBI in Kenosha with a drone? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's another question that has to be asked. Why are these people not being stopped that are committing these crimes and mayhem and burning cities now?
0: When did you and or your attorney get the first notification that somebody in the Department of Justice was looking at old Steve Baker?
1: I, it was it was kind of interesting. I was it was in September, and I was actually doing a meeting with some of my blog followers up here in a community just outside of DC. And the day before, I got a call that morning from um, an agent, special agent, there in the Raleigh area, North Carolina. And he introduced himself and he said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about uh, your activities on January 6th. And we see that you're gonna be near DC tomorrow. Would you like to drop in at our headquarters and have a conversation with us? And I said, well, I said, I'm not opposed to doing an interview with you guys. I said, but it, it wouldn't be convenient because my attorney wouldn't be able to be there. And so um, they were very, very cooperative. Um, and they said, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll just do it when you get back in town. So we arranged a time for us to come in. And upon that uh, or, originally scheduled time, my attorney and I showed up about 15 minutes early there at the um, um, FBI headquarters just outside Raleigh. And they, the two agents greeted us at the door and immediately informed us that there was a problem and that they may not be able to do the interview that day.
0: And what was that problem?
1: well they said give us 10 minutes we'll be back Hmm. but it took them about a half hour we sat in the lobby there and when they came back out they informed us that because of my status as a even though as an independent member of the press that there's a code in the statute of federal regulations that says that or there's a statute rather in the code of federal regulations that says that they are not allowed to conduct an interview or investigate in any way a member of the press without express written permission from the U S attorney general's office of the United States.
0: This is this past September. This is this past September. Okay. So that would be Merrick Garland.
1: That's correct. It has to come from his office or one of his associates, you know, one of his assistants. Gotcha. And, and that permission was ultimately secured a couple of weeks later And then we also received what's called a proper letter from the the U.S. Attorney General's Office, Assistant U.S. Attorney General, stating that if I participated in a cooperative and voluntary interview, that nothing that I said in that interview could be used against me should I ever have charges filed against me for my participation on january 6th
0: and of course you believed that you believed it
1: well uh, (laughs) uh, but yeah the letter says unless i perjure myself then they can go after me and so so we we with that in mind we did agree to the cooperative interview because again i didn't do anything illegal that day except follow the story where the story went absolutely wasn't involved in any violence or breaking or breaching or any of the insurrection or sedition type activities and certainly not even conspiracy, because as the FBI knows, I have no connection whatsoever with either the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, or any other militia group or Antifa or BLM. I just don't have associations there. So I'm certainly not involved in any conspiracy. And so what – we did the interview. It went well. Two hours, and then the, the agents informed me that I was in fact being investigated and that it was not up to them but that it was still possible that I could face two misdemeanor tra- uh, charges the first one was basically what i call the glorified trespassing charge which is entering a restricted you know federal building without permission right and then the second charge would be it's a little it's a little bit more serious misdemeanor charge but it has to do with disrupting the business of government that day and those were the two charges that I could potentially face. They assured me that if, in fact, the U.S. Attorney decided to press those charges, that I would be, once again, it would be um, um, mutually, beneficially, schedule wise arranged for me to come submit myself to the U.S. Attorney, U.S. Marshal's office. I would be processed and that I would be released and not detained.
0: So, what has happened since then?
1: Uh, they have gone. Well, since then, we did two weeks later or a couple of weeks later, we received – my attorney received a, an email from the U.S. attorney as saying that his client, me, would be and could expect to be charged within the week. And that's a quote.
0: So that, that would be. On, I was going to say that's about the first of October, sometime in the first half. No, this
1: of, is no. no we're, this is this is a got to jump forward. It's this this email was dated November seventeenth.
0: Okay, so right before Thanksgiving, you finally yep. were told this is yep. probably going to happen.
1: We were told that I could expect charges within the week of November seventeenth.
3: Hmm.
1: And now, yesterday was exactly seven weeks since we were told that, and we've not heard a peep from the. Department of Justice since then.
0: So that's been quite of a different environment that you've been living in every day, not knowing, but knowing that you're in the bullseye of the federal government, the Department of Justice that have told you to expect to be indicted. That's got to be a tough place to live.
1: But it's worse than that, Dan. (laughs) Oh no. It's worse than that because once my attorney was informed of what the charge, what the statutes were of the charges that I could expect to, to see. It wasn't trespassing. One of the charges is interstate racketeering.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: So the only thing we've been able to survive is because we haven't seen the formal written complaint, as they call it. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Is that they are basing the interstate racketeering charge on the fact that news agencies all over the world have licensed and paid for access to my video through an agency. And as any other reporter, any other member of the press, any other writer does, freelancers and independent uh, reporters do this all the time. Sure. But they're saying that I profited – from an illegal activity.
0: I, I, I got to be honest with you. If this goes down that road, if you end up going down that road, I find it very difficult. If everything you've told us is factual, and I know you, and I know that it is, I find it very difficult that they could factually find any way to realistically prosecute you for that.
1: Well, th- th- this is this is the MO of the Department of Justice, and we're not talking about just January sixth defendants. But the Department of Justice, the U.S. federal government, and the U.S. Attorney's office do not like going to trial. Period. Ninety-seven percent of all federal cases, for any reason, at any level, whatever, any crime, are pled out.
0: Well, that charge so would do, that charge would not be a misdemeanor.
1: No, it carries a minimum of a five-year prison sentence.
0: There you go. Hit them with the biggie, hit them with the biggie, charge them with the biggie, and then settle for something less.
1: Then scare them down to a quick plea bargain, and let's move on to the next case.
0: That can't make you feel good.
1: No, it doesn't make me feel good because whatever they're going to bargain down to forces and puts me into a position where I have to plead guilty to something I did not do.
0: And it happens every day in the federal government. Most people don't realize that, but it happens every day.
1: And and worse than that, not only only are 97% of all federal cases pled out, but if you go to trial, if you're one of that 3% that goes to trial, you lose 99% of the time.
0: Just because it's Big Brother.
1: It's Big Brother, and they have the resources. You can't... They they have a bottomless pit of resources to which to go into to prosecute the case, and you can't afford to fight them.
0: Did you which listen? is why
1: ninety seven percent of them are pled out.
0: Did you listen to the attorney general's speech yesterday about this? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. That could not have made you feel warm and fuzzy because he made no, it very. No- <laughs> he made it Shut very up. clear. We're going after Shut. everybody.
1: Yeah, I, I heard it live and in real time, sitting <laughs> here in D.C. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been, I've been Dan. I've been looking over my shoulder every time I walk to dinner. You know, here downtown.
0: <laughs> You're really close to give them access, right?
1: You know, it's funny because I've done a lot of international press while I've been here. Yeah, I've, uh, I've done French television, Russian television. Uh, yesterday morning, uh, I was doing the Good Morning Britain show um, on ITV in England, and they wanted to do a live broadcast interviewing me in front of the D.C. detention center where the defendants are being held. And I agreed to it.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: I went and stood right in front of the detention center where the, the, the J6 defendants are being held right now, by the way, without bail and without constitutional due process. Just throw that in. And and uh, I'm standing right there as the, the Brits interviewed me.
0: And so you pointed, you turned around and pointed to the British audience that was watching and saying, this could be my future home.
1: We, we, we made a <laughs> reference to that.
0: <laughs> this cannot be a fun time for you right now. I know as a journalist, you're eating all of this up because you're in the middle of something that every journalist really wants to be a part of. But it kind of has gone south for you in that regard.
1: This is not the way you want to get your 15 minutes, uh, Dan. (laughs) Let's just call that spade. spade. Oh, my gosh.
0: I hear horror stories coming out of that detention center, too.
1: Yeah. uh, As a matter of fact, uh, one of my attorneys is representing one of the Oath Keepers that's being held there. And this is an individual who did not commit, commit any violence and, in fact, at one point helped defend and protect a law enforcement officer inside the building. But because he was with the wrong group, he is being held on a conspiracy charge under Patriot Act provisions, which allows them to hold – yesterday was 300 days that he's been held in this basically dungeon uh, without uh, even an offer of bail. Now, this is a guy who's zero criminal record. Right. Sterling history. You know that the Oath Keepers were an offshoot of the promise keepers. Yes. So you know what his spiritual background probably is.
0: Well sure, he's a Christian.
1: Well and and, and and as an oath keeper, these are all former law enforcement, military, special forces who get together to encourage other current members of those agencies to keep their oath to the Constitution. So this guy is facing decades in prison as a conspiratorialist, but he did no violence that day.
0: The thing that Americans and people in this audience, we have a massive audience today, by the way, the last two hours, we've had hundreds of thousands of people that have been listening in live to this. This is what scares almost everybody that's listening in today. We're in an environment now, Steve, and you're front and center in it actually today as we speak. We're in an environment where facts don't really matter when it comes to law enforcement. Evidence doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter. All that matters is who's in charge. And if anybody who's in charge gets something in their craw against anybody out there, they find ways to come up with justification for doing exactly what they've been doing in the aftermath of last January the 6th and what they're holding you up for and holding over your head. And as you said, I mean, if you violated the law and if they prosecuted everybody that was there without having formal uh, credentials, there'd be thousands of people being arrested and not just a few. But that is nothing, nothing serious like what's happening to this this gentleman you're talking about. That illustrates the underbelly of our government. That's what scares us.
1: And here's, here's the ultimate question. Why am I being selectively prosecuted as an independent journalist? Because there were many such persons as myself in that building that day but it seems to be what their narrative was when they walked out and they wrote their story Yeah. or as a freelance journalist or a freelance writer who did they sell their story to did they sell their story to the new york times the new yorker the washington post or were they an independent blogger like myself who on february 24th Reported that through sources, I had gained information that U.S. Special Forces and U.S. Marshals were embedded in that crowd that day. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's out there and, now, and everybody's trying to get a grasp on what that could look like. Let me ask you this, well, and we're going to have to yeah. go. We're going to ra- we're going to have to wrap this up. Mike yeah. Stevens sent me a text during this. Our mutual friend asked a yeah. good question: Is the January sixth Special Select Committee? Have they reached out to you for you to turn over any of your video or even just to interview you?
1: I've actually spoken to Senator Johnson from the Senate Select Committee. Uh, Senator Johnson um, had me call him, actually gave me his personal phone, uh, cell phone number. Right. And I called him the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and we had a short conversation. He said that they had been tracking my stories for about five months. And that um, he was going to have his chief investigator get in touch with me, which did happen the next week. And I spent an hour not being interrogated, but being questioned in, in, you know, extreme detail by the Senate investigators on January 6th. And um, uh, that's probably where I should let that stand.
0: Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) Steve Baker, I cannot thank you enough for taking two hours of your time to come share this with us a couple of things i'm going to make you promise number one you'll let us keep praying for you and stay in touch with you is that a yes
1: absolutely that's an absolute (laughs) yes and number two go ahead i was just going to say if 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 we can let's get the information out there where they can stay in touch with me
0: yes Uh, please go
1: the best, the best location. We, I, I, my, my blog site, my internet site is still up. It's thepragmaticconstitutionalist.com, right. but it's no longer our home. We're basing everything out of uh, locals, which is a content creator site. You know that a lot of uh, a lot of famous names are now over there, from Dave Rubin uh, to you know who founded this this content creator site. And you, so it, yeah, it's thepragmaticconstitutionalist.locals.com.
0: When you get to something solid that is going to happen, will you reach out and let us know so we can open our doors to you to come back anytime and give us updates?
1: Yeah, man. I'll, I will keep you posted on uh, as this story develops, as they say, because we don't know where it's going yet.
0: Brother, we appreciate everything you're doing, everything you've done, and we're going to be praying for you because God's in this, if for no other reason you're in it and you're one of God's kids. Thank you so much for sharing with us, and I can only say the best to you, brother.
1: Thanks for letting me uh, participate with you and get this story out today.
0: Folks, thank you all for being here. I can't tell you how much I love having you here. We wouldn't be doing this without you. That's a wrap. You have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow for Friday. We'll end the week together at TNN Live.